Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hello and welcome to another edition of Taekwondo Life Magazine Live. My name is Mark Sorianis. I'm your host. I'm a third Don Black Belt and I'm the editor-in-chief of Taekwondo Life Magazine. Taekwondo Life Magazine is a member of the Believe Sports Network. Believe is the number one sports and podcast network for professionals. Do you believe? Today I am very excited. On our program, we are going to be talking about this book, Becoming Bulletproof by Evie Pomporos. This book is essential reading. There's once in a while in our our lives that we come across books that have various salient features, things that are important to us. This book is important on so many levels. It's important for us as Taekwondo practitioners. It's important for us as citizens. It's important for us as Taekwondo students and instructors. Uh, I really liked this book. I became engaged in it. I have a copy from the library and I need to purchase this book, invest in this book, because this is a book I will need to refer to time and time again. And I would encourage you to do the same and pick this book up. I'm going to talk a little bit about this book. I couldn't possibly tell you everything about this book, uh, but I do want to talk a little bit about the book. It's important features and some things that were really meaningful to me. But before we do that, I want to go to a word from our sponsor, Bet Online. Bet Online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Bet Online has you covered for all the news, the scores, and the odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. I want you to head over to betonline.ag to use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. That's Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. And I'm going to my phone because I thought I was looking on Bet Online, and there were two things that were really interesting. One is uh, a bet on who will remarry first, Bill Gates or Jeff Bezos. And the other is the odds for NFL's first coach to be fired Mike McCarthy, Vic Fangio, Matt Nagy, John Gruden, Mike Zimmer. So, in addition to the standard fare of things that you can bet on, you can bet on all that other kind of crazy stuff. And this, this show today is presented by Bet Online. So as I said, this book is written by Evie Pomporos. It is called Becoming Bulletproof. It came out uh, at just as the pandemic was getting started last year. And we had written to Evie Pomporos through her um, media team to ask for her to come on as an interview uh, because I had heard that the book was great. I wanted to read it. Uh, but she was too busy, I guess, you know, book doing book promotion with standard things that her publishers set up. In addition to the um, pandemic, she didn't come on. So it took me a little time to read the book. I didn't rush to read it because she didn't come on. And I'm sorry that I didn't do that. So um, even though she didn't come on as a guest, it doesn't change the fact that this is still such a meaningful and important book. Now, there are elements of this book I'm going to talk about that reminded me. And I'll talk more specifically about, as those of you know, a regular contributor to our show is Dave Young, Mr. Dave Young. 
Um, Dave is very well known to the Taekwondo community. We did a special issue featuring the articles of Dave Young surrounding his book, How to Defend Your Family and Home, Outsmart an Invader, Secure Your Home, and Prevent a Burglary, and Protect Your Loved Ones from Any Threat by Dave Young. That book came out about two years ago, and uh, we featured, actually, the publisher gave us permission to put a chapter in our book, uh, our magazine, and to we, we interviewed Dave on this program about that. So let me tell you a little bit about Evi Pomporos. In addition to being a Greek like myself, in addition to being a New Yorker like myself, she is a former Secret Service special agent for the United States Secret Service. So what does that mean? That means exactly what you may think it means. Someone who was in charge of uh, detail regarding security for the president and the presidential uh, envoys. Uh, she covered everyone from President Clinton, uh, Hillary Clinton, the Bush family, Bush 1, Bush 41, Bush 43, Laura Bush, the Bush's daughter, uh, one of the Bush's daughters, I apologize. She covered uh, Barack and Michelle Obama. She has been uh, a significant player on that scene. She's a former NYPD officer as well, as well as a journalist. So she introduces us to the book. The book has got a little bit of biography in it, and it is not a pure biography of Evie, but it does give us the background about her and the credibility about her and tells us a little bit about her story and her struggles um, coming in as an outsider, as a woman, uh, as a petite female into an all-male world. Uh, she talks a little bit about what she did and how she got involved and um, the life lessons that, that, she's lear that she learned. Uh, very, very helpful in terms of understanding and framing the book. She is also, in, in that regard, a 9-11 survivor. She was, as the, the Secret Service had an office in uh, the world, one of the World Trade Center buildings, she was there. The book opens with um, writing that is akin to any fictionalized or um, dramatic novel. It is, is heart-wrenching details of her um, experience the day of 9-11 escaping and surviving and, and using her, her, what she could in her capacity to help others in the 9-11 uh, tragedy here in New York, uh, the attack on the former Twin Towers. So, and she talks about that for the purposes of outlining the book and outline her commitment to service. And she talks about that in terms of that she dedicated the book to teaching people to become bulletproof, the, the, the theme of the book. And in that, what she's talking about is building up an, a layer of armor around yourself to protect yourself from harm and difficulties in life. She establishes in the book a very, very interesting um, dynamic where she talks about the difference between fear and panic. And she talks about the notion, this is really important, I think, for everybody, one of the things I loved about the book, that survival becomes about mastering your fear. We can't eliminate fear, right? We, we, the notion that we'll never have fear, she says, is not a real concept. But fear can be mastered or it can go out of control, go off the rails. When it goes off the rails, it becomes panic. And panic is bad, but fear can be, be managed. 
And she talks about the proper ways to manage fear uh, as a healthy and natural response to a perceived threat. The book is divided up into three key sections. The first section is called protection, uh, protecting yourself and protecting others. This one is one that is a little bit closer to some of the things that I talked about in terms of the Dave Young book. Some of it relates to um, mentally being able to do that. Some of it relates to physically being able to do that. And we'll talk about that. The second part of the book is reading people, uh, an important skill towards any aspect of your life, whether it be business, whether it be if you're in law enforcement like her, whether it be just communication with people, whether you're teaching as a Taekwondo instructor. And then the last one is exuding your influence. And she talks about the manners in which we, we have the ability to influence people in our lives through our actions, through our words, through our interactions. And she talks about it. It's, it's, it's particularly relevant in this day and age because she talks about it in terms of being able to do that through intelligent and strategic ways of, of behavior as opposed to what fear and intimidation, as opposed to shaking your fist at somebody, as opposed to insulting someone and telling someone that they're stupid and, and posting mean tweets about them. So um, she talks about that in a very, very uh, detailed way with very specific. The book is filled with um, lists and charts and diagrams. Um, which makes it a, a useful tool. And when I pick up my next copy of it, I'm going to go back and I'm going to write all over it. I'm going to use it as a, as a working tool. So let's get into and jump into talking about Evie Pomporis's Becoming Bulletproof. I'm going to be referring to notes, which is something I don't normally do. I normally give an overview, but this book was so great um, and so important that I felt that in order to get the most out of it, I, I wrote notes. I would encourage you to do the same. Um, she talks using very specific examples about fear and how fear is a natural response. But she also talks about us, a common theme in the book is us understanding ourselves and that in order to be able to improve ourselves and get ourselves to the next level of where we want to be, we need to understand ourselves. As Taekwondo practitioners, this becomes really true, right? Um, if we don't understand where we are, at what level we are as Taekwondo practitioners, how do we know where we need to be, right? Honest self-assessment is what we need. She talks about responses to fear being flight, fight, or freeze. So, right. So she, in her case, there was a situation where her home was robbed and her mom's response was to freeze. Her response was to fight. She ran after the, the person who robbed their house. Other people may, may freeze. We need to understand what our response is to fear in order to be able to determine what we want to do, where we want to go. And one of the things that the book sets up as a through line is that you don't ever want to understand or discover what your responses are to critical situations in those situations. So we have to test the waters. She talks a lot about martial arts and she talks about the fact that you want to go to a martial arts program where you're going to engage with somebody, where you're going to get a hit, where you're going to get um, knocked around. Why? Because I don't want to find out on the street for the first time that I don't like to take a punch or that I don't know what my reaction is going to be to taking a punch. Um, I want to be able to understand what my response is to a bad situation and manage it. If I'm a person who tends to freeze in a situation, but I want to be a person who tends to fight or I, I, I want to know when I should flee, I'm only going to know those things based on putting myself in high pressure situations where 
it's going to get my blood going and I'm going to be able to say, hey, this is how I think I, I, I respond to this and this is what I need to do to make adjustments. She talks about a very interesting concept about um, the nature of our possible selves versus our feared selves in um, how we behave. And what she's talking about there is that we navigate life and for many of us, we have two different things that, that guide us. One is I'm afraid of who I'm going to be. So I do a lot of things in response to that. And the other is the person, the possible self that I want to be. And I behave in that way. Um, I, I, I see a lot of this in terms of people with their parents, right? I, if people have a bad relationship with their parents, they do everything they can sometimes to be the opposite of the way that their parents behave. Why? Because that's the feared self-response, right? I don't want to be those people. But you have other people who love the way their parents behave. And to some degree, that's the possible self-reaction. And that even if we're not conscious of it, that we gear ourselves to many times our behavior is dictated by those responses. So again, I think one of the things that she's talking about here is that we need to understand about ourselves what it is that motivates us, what makes us tick, and be able to understand where we want to go and chart out that goal and respond to it. She talks a lot about building up and using strength and building our mental armor. Our mental armor is basically understanding what is our reaction, those flight or fight reactions, understanding what it is that stress does to us, understanding where we want to go, and then creating mechanisms. We talk a little bit later about mentors through ourselves, through our mentors, to be able to get to where we need to go in terms of building up and protecting ourselves. Common theme in the book, again, about self-understanding is um, understanding, being calm, being able to understand yourself and, and respond to situations. She talks a lot about um, the notion of problem mindset versus the solution mindset. Do you understand about yourself? Are you the kind of person who simply is able to point out the problems, right? We talk today a lot in society about Karens, right? Um, the Karens are the ones who are complaining about anything. But what is the solution to problems? If we understand what problems are, are we able to map out solutions or are we just simply engaging in blame? Are we simply um, pointing out the bad things in, 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 in life? Are we simply pointing out the, the things that the areas where we struggle? And she talks a lot about finding meaning in tragedy and helping us overcome pain and focusing on solutions rather than problems. And, you know, she gives some, some tips and solutions throughout this entire book. One of the things she talks about is taking ownership of a situation. The other, which I think is really great is when you have a problem, when you have a bad situation to step out of it and to give yourself the perspective to give yourself the advice that you would give to somebody else that you were talking to that had your problem. In other words, many of us are really good at this, right? We give good advice to our friends. We give good advice to our family, but we don't take that advice ourselves. She's talking about in a very practical way, removing yourself emotionally from a bad situation, pretending you're your friend, pretending you're your family member, and then give yourself the advice that you would give them and then follow that advice. She talks a little bit about doing things to disrupt yourself or separate yourself 
from bad decision-making. And sometimes we make bad decisions because we're engaged so close to a bad situation. So she talks about going to the gym or counting to 10 or, or going for a walk or doing what you can to disrupt yourself from uh, a bad situation. She gets more in the first part of the book, in the protection part, as I talked about with Dave, into some practical things that you need to do. And, and, and she'll talk about all these, but you know, things that people are, situational awareness, things that we all need to become a little bit more aware of to keep ourselves safe, particularly in today's day and, day and age. Um, we need to be physically aware of where we are. We need to be aware of our the people that are around us. We need to be visible. We need to take certain precautions and we need to trust our instincts. She talks a lot about the fact that we have instincts, we have intuition, and that many times people have weird feelings, but they go against them because of our politeness, right? Um, you feel someone is following you on the street and you feel like it might be rude to cut across the street and walk away from that person. But meanwhile, maybe that person is a danger to us. What's more important, the person's feelings who you don't know or your safety? She talks about personal safety with kids and talking with kids and being open. And she get, there's a section in the book where she talks about having talking to your kids about serious topics, but also having plans with kids. Um, you know, again, she's very good at teaching us to do things very, very affirmatively and with great deliberation. She talks about having a meetup place for kids, teaching kids about disruptive behavior, um, anti-bullying, that 70% of kids are able to escape an abduction uh, by acting in violent and loud ways. She talks about the psychology of the bully, the psychology of the predator, how they test the waters, um, how your body posture, how your verbal um, self-defense comes into play. But then she talks more practically about things. Um, remember to lock your door. Uh, don't park in a dark space. Um, when you have kids, put those kids in quickly um, and be aware of what's, what's going on. So uh, she talks about don't, Something's very common today. We're also self-absorbed, absorbed in our phone, not aware of our surroundings. Um, she goes as far as to pick the tables that she sits in in a restaurant strategically so that she can see what's going on. Picking the seats in a movie theater, trusting your instincts, those, those things. All things that you can do to protect yourself and protect your family that you should be aware of the exits when you go to a place, that you should be aware of the points of ingress and egress, that you should be aware of who else is sitting in the restaurants. And I think we have a little bit of a balance here, right? Because we're taught not to judge. We shouldn't judge people. We shouldn't cast judgment. We should be open-minded. And that's true. But by the same token, there are certain things that aren't right and that give us a sense of danger. And we should trust ourselves in that regard. And hopefully we never need these things, but these things become our fallback. She goes on to the next level of this beyond situational awareness is that the last resort is to fight. But if you need to fight, you should know how to fight. The predators will be weak and that predators generally don't want someone who's going to fight back. The same as bullies, that we need to make the eye contact, that we need to show awareness and that we need to be ready to be aggressive. Uh, she gives very definite times and places in this book that crime can happen or that we're most likely to be victims, which talks about the fact that females more likely than males, that between 6 p.m. and 6 a.m., you're most likely to be a victim of a violent crime. 
um, that your assailant is most likely to be someone under the age of 25, that your lifestyle may impact. If you're somebody who tends to get drunk and is, walks the street drunk or on drugs, that you're, you're, you're setting yourself up to be victimized. And she says something that is extremely important to, to us. And I'm going to see if I can find that part in the book. She says you should study martial arts and you should study martial arts, uh, a martial art where you get hit and where you learn to understand the physical realities of being against an opponent and where your mind, your mind and your body are, are strong. It, it's so incredibly important. And I, I, I thought that it was extremely, the most important piece, here it is, the most page 112, the most important piece of advice I can give you is to sign up for a martial arts or a boxing class, a place where you can not only hit someone, but where you can get hit back. That's a huge difference between shadow boxing and boxing for real. Yes, you want to learn how to defend yourself, but you also want to know how you will react in an attack scenario. You want to know what you're capable of. And more importantly, you want to know what your limitations are. I think that's great in the martial arts school where I train, where I study, where I teach. It is something that we get involved in. We, we teach desensitization. I've worked with Dave Young with some of his police training. It's something that he works on. Desensitization. What is desensitization? Desensitization is exactly that. I can teach you to be the best kicker, the best puncher, the best anything in the world. But what happens when you get hit? If you're never able to take that hit, if you're never aware of what you're going to react, then the first time you get hit, you may freeze up. You may use one of those F3 responses, right? You may want to flee. You may want to freeze. Um, you need to understand that about yourself. Uh, Evie goes on to talk about bulletproofing your home, which again is very much like the Dave Young. There's a lot of overlap here. Making sure your home is well lit, making sure your doors have good locks on it, making sure you're aware that uh, predators can go through your trash, making sure you know who your neighbors are, making sure that you get a dog if you feel like that's an appropriate thing to do, um, uh, that you make sure that on your social media, something that people rarely think enough about, you're sending signals to the world, you're telling the world exactly where you're going to be and what you're going to be doing. And, and as a result, are you sending them signals? I'm going to be away for a week and uh, the key's under the, the rock and, and, and have your, your way with my stuff. Um, and she talks more seriously as a woman who was who's seen so much and who went through 9-11 about having an emergency go bag, a bag that has a little cash in it, that has a flashlight in it, that has documents that you may need in it, uh, has a change of clothing in case we ever end up in a situation where the world gets crazy. And, you know, post 9-11, by the time she wrote this book, maybe people would think that wasn't so necessary, but we just came out of a major crisis. And I think people understand that anything can happen, right? The, the one thing the pandemic showed us is we don't know as much as we think we know about the world and about what our expectations are, even though we're in the 21st century in the high time of technology, that the world can be a crazy and sometimes inhospitable place. The second part of the book talks about her understanding of reading people. And she's really, really good at reading people because that's part of what she needed to do. She was a um, lie detector specialist. Um, she conducted numerous lie detectors for uh, tests for federal agencies not only uh, for criminal defendants, criminal suspects, 
but for people that were looking to get hired by the federal government in Secret Service or other federal agencies. So she um, is really, really good at understanding how to read people. She talks a lot about this, and, and this is something that's just a general communication thing. I think it helped me in terms of understanding my communication with people, but it also helps me as a Taekwondo instructor to talk about becoming an active listener, stop trying to control conversations. She talks a lot about being present in a conversation, not being distracted, not being prisoners of our cell phone when we're trying to communicate with people, understanding the connection between our body and our words. Are they in harmony? She talks about the fact, and Tony Robbins talks about this a lot in people who study NLP, that 65% of communication is nonverbal, which is why sometimes texting and emails can be very, very hard because we don't have intonation in there. We don't see, you know, even in today's day and age with Zoom communication, when we're in meetings and things of that nature, we're only seeing people's faces, right? We're not seeing their body. We're not seeing whether they're slouching. We're not seeing whether their feet are tapping. We're not seeing what their hands are doing. So she talks a lot about understanding the signs, uh, people's whether people make eye tack, contact, people's facial expressions when you're talking to them, things of that nature, whether their hands are fidgeting and what all of those things mean in terms of, of communication. She's also very, very good at, at not being formulaic about not saying to you that you should read a book that says if someone's eyes go to the left, it automatically means they're lying. What she's talking about it largely in terms of conversation is that when you get involved in real conversation with somebody and you become an active listener, you get a sense as to what their normal nature of their communication is. So that when you're able to speak to them on their level, you get a little bit of a sense of who they are. And then as you get into various topics or various issues, you understand the variations from the baseline, right? So if I'm somebody who normally doesn't make contact with you or I don't make contact with anybody, the fact is, is that the fact that I don't make eye contact may be meaningless because I don't make contact with anybody because I'm a nervous person or I have a, some sort of an issue. But if I normally make contact with everybody, but you start to talk to me about something that's very personal to me and I don't make eye contact, what is that saying about me? She can have the ability to pick up on those subtleties. And that's one of the things she talks about in the book. And I think that the book is great for helping us to understand how to read people better. Uh, I feel not necessarily that I can read people better now, but that I understand what to look for to start actively trying to read people, people better. And, and that I understand the tools that I need to work on in order to be able to experience this with people. And she, she really lays it out beautifully in the book. She talks about, um, in terms of really, really helpful for anybody reading the book, the best ways to present yourself, to remember that first impressions come only once, that we always need to remember who is our target audience and what is the message that we're trying to convey, that we also need to watch our own body language when we speak to people and our own eye contact. What message are we sending to people? Are we, are we trying to are we open? Are we closed in our conversation? Are we hostile? Are we defensive in our conversation? Are we fidgeting? Do we seem distracted? You know, what message is that sending? Whether you're in a job interview, whether you're teaching a class, whether you're trying to go on a date, any of those things, are we aware? How many of us are truly aware of what our body language and our eye contact and all of those things are saying about who we are and how, we, how important 
We are. She talks about power linguistics, which is essentially a study of all this nonverbal communications. Uh, it's not about what we say, but how we say it. Um, are you a fast talker? And are you a fast talker? Again, you need to understand the context. Are you a fast talker because you're a New Yorker? Or are you a fast talker because you're now nervous and you're trying to get some point across and, that you're trying to? Now, she's saying that if you're talking to an audience of people that you don't know, you want to slow down your speech a little bit. It's more powerful. Um, what are the words that we're using? What's the context that we're using? Or do we have a lot of ums and ahs that make us seem like we don't know what we're talking about? Um, are we speaking up properly? Are we speaking audibly? Are we mumbling? And she talks a lot about this one theme, which is really wonderful, uh, and that's preparation. She is a big proponent of preparation, right? So if I'm going to teach a class, if I'm going to give a presentation, if I'm going to do a job interview, if I'm going to do anything, clearly I'm going to have more confidence in my speech. I'm going to have more confidence in my communication. I'm going to have more confidence in what I do if I've done my homework. The amount of homework that you do before, the amount of homework that you do leading up to something will make you more confident and better at being able to deal with that. She also talks a little bit about uh, detecting deception and lies, which again comes from her experience. It's an important part of the book, not necessarily so important in terms of maybe for our purposes, but I do think it's very, very interesting. I think it's interesting in terms of understanding the way that people communicate, understanding when you're speaking to people, understanding as a parent when you're speaking to your kids, uh, when they may be less than truthful to you. Um, she goes into some very, very specific things. And I think that, that is, uh, that's great. So that's section two of the book, reading people. There's a lot there. It's very rich. I don't think you're going to get into everything you need from reading at one time, which is why I'm suggesting buying the book. And then part three, which is really important, which is called influence. Part three of the book is, I think, an essential part of the book. While part one is really, really important for us as um, people living and our families and protection and us as martial artists and us as, 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 as providers for our family, part three is equally as important because it talks about influence. And influence is essentially something that we are always trying to exude. And I don't mean that in a manipulative way. But really, what is the basis of teaching, right, is influence? What is the basis of helping people? Influence. What is the basis of being a parent? Influence. Um, so much of today's discord among people is that people are not really trying to influence each other in a healthy way. They're trying to bully, intimidate, insult each other. And what happens? They get nowhere, which is why... If you look at politics today, right, the left is the left, the right is the right, and there's no one in between. She really understands the basics of communication. She understands that in order to really influence somebody, and she's not talking about changing somebody, right? We're not changing somebody at their core. Maybe a series of influence will lead to a change. She's simply talking about influencing someone to see your point of view or to accomplish something or to do something that you need them to do. She's talking about building rapport, building rapport as the number one way in which we can influence people. Now, one of the things I loved about the book is that I think she's very genuine and she's very real is that she had the opportunity to work with President Clinton. And again, I'm going back to the book. 
she talks about the example of how to influence people. And she talks about President Clinton and making people feel special. The style of personalized one-to-one communication, that's in chapter 17, starting on pages 215. Okay. And she talks about listening with interest, undivided attention, and remembering people's names in conversation. And she talks a little bit about how President Clinton was the master of this. Now, why is that so personal to me? It's so personal to me because in my work, I had the opportunity to have a very to be among a very small group of people that met President Clinton for a luncheon after he was president of the United States. And there was a luncheon and he gave a speech and it was a lot of it had to do with talking about uh, his presidency and national security issues and, and some items. But most significant as it relates to this is that for me, I, I'm, I'm, I was a Reagan Republican. I worked for Senator John McCain. I had respect for, for President Clinton, but I wasn't uh, someone who was uh, a sycophant, let's say, of, of President Clinton. I wasn't obsessed. I, was, I always have respect for the institution. I was, was happy to meet him, but I wasn't someone who was um, so enamored with him that I, that I was hypnotized. But at the end of our meeting, President Clinton stood at the door to say goodbye to the people who had gone. There weren't, again, there weren't that many. There was probably less than 100, maybe 50 people. And when I got up to President Clinton, he took my hand with both of his hands and he looked me in the eye. He had asked my name and he said to me, Mark, it was so nice to meet you. I'm really glad that you came here today. And he held my hand for a second. And I will tell you that it was magical. And, and when I say that, I, no one was more surprised than me. He had a gift, the gift of making me feel that even if he wasn't sincere, even if he wasn't so glad to see me, even if he would never remember my name five minutes from then, he got the, the gift of making me feel that that wasn't the case in that moment. That is what she's talking about. That is rapport. He understood that. I've, I've been around many famous people. I've been in that situation with other famous people. I did it with Rudy Giuliani. I was with Governor Pataki. Uh, I was with Bernard Carrick. All guys, many guys of which I respected, probably people that I, I was more in line with some of those people than I was with President Clinton. But President Clinton managed to do something and build that rapport that I could understand how he could influence people. She talks a lot about respect and that respect is something that many people, this is true in the martial arts world. Many people demand respect, but you need to command respect. So you need to say that your behavior is consistent with your words. You need to behave in a dignified way, right? We say that all the time. If I'm going to be the 400 pound martial arts instructor who never lifts his foot above a, um, you know, ankle length, doesn't ever do anything to improve my own training, doesn't engage with my students, but I insist that they call me Kyosanim, then am I really doing anything other than demanding respect? Am I doing anything to command respect? Am I really going to be able to influence them to, to accomplish great things if that's my behavior? And she, she talks a lot about that. She talks a lot about the natural affinity and alignment in conversations builds rapport. And rapport builds trust and trust chemically creates synergies between people, right? Uh, it builds up uh, oxytocin between people. People start to feel empathy towards each other. 
they start to be able to understand each other a little better and they start to be able to communicate better and influence occurs. She also provides a lot of techniques that were that I'm familiar with from NLP techniques like mirroring. Mirroring is when you and I invite, engage in a conversation and I start to engage in a speech pattern that is very similar to yours. If I'm trying to influence you, that in a body pattern, perhaps my physical gestures start to mirror yours. Now, the one thing is, is this is a slippery slope. She's very, very clear about it, right? If I'm talking to somebody who's Southern and I start to delve into a Southern drawl and start to be calling people y'all, that perhaps it's not going to be mirroring. It's not going to be influence. It's going to be seen as making fun of, um, humiliating, poking fun at, and then it has the opposite effect. That's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is she gives a very good example is that if I'm speaking to someone from the Midwest and I want to have a good conversation with them, that perhaps speaking at my New York rate of speed may not be the best way to communicate with them because it isn't what they're used to, that I should slow my speech down. Now, I'm not doing that to make fun of them. I'm not doing that to poke fun at them. I'm doing that to be able to meet them at their level. Their level's not better. My level's not better. It's just their level. I'm the one trying to exude influence. I'm not trying to bring them to my level. I'm trying to bring myself to their level so that we can have a meaningful conversation. The other part of it is she talked about keeping your, your ego in check, right? You got to be nice to people. You're not going to influence people by humiliating them. You're not going to influence people by embarrassing them. You're not going to influence people by treating them badly. You're going to influence people by showing them a certain amount of camaraderie, a certain amount of, uh, you know, we, we could find the areas in life where we're more the same than different. We're certainly going to get a lot more done. She talks a little bit more about the words that we use and the language that we use. And she gives a number of positive open-ended types of phrases to open up conversations when we meet people, particularly in a, uh, let's say for the first time for a job interview, maybe a new student who comes into our dojang, types of, of phrases and the types of opening remarks that will make people feel more comfortable, not necessarily word for word. She isn't giving it verbatim. What she's giving you is the posture and the, again, this comes down to neuro-linguistic programming as well. The vernacular that you would type need to use to give people certain words are going to be more make you feel more open certain words are going to make you feel more closed very very interesting she doesn't talk about this but if you read Rhonda burns the secret the secret talks a lot about changing your mindset and only speaking in positive terms uh, if i want to lose weight it's healthier for me to say i don't want to be fat anymore or is it healthier for me to say uh, I want to start to engage in a healthy lifestyle to make myself healthy. Well, the first word, the first phrase has negativity in it, right? Fat and don't. And, but the second one is all about my goal and my aspiration. They may lead to the same goal, right? I don't want to be fat anymore. I want to have a healthier lifestyle, eat better, so on and so forth. Well, they may be basically saying the same thing, but they're saying them in a different way. And what she's saying, what the secret is saying what neurolinguistic programming Richard Bandler is saying and Tony Robbins is when we choose to speak in that type of positive communication, we change our mindset and we change our ability to communicate and influence people. 
Uh, she talks about temperature. If you have the ability to control temperature in a meeting, warm is certainly better than cool. She talks about, again, being prepared. If I'm going to have a meeting with somebody, if I'm going to meet with somebody on a certain topic, um, I do it here for interviews. If I'm going to interview somebody, I want to know about what their, their life is, right? I want to know about their movies. I want to know about their book that they've written. I want to know about their, because in order for me to be able to connect with them, in order for me to be able to understand them, understand what questions to ask them, I need to have done my homework. And, and that's a common theme that she talks about throughout. She does a great discussion of physical space, and I'm going to go over it here quickly, but she has diagrams in the book. And I think we all understand this intuitively. Um, we'll say to somebody, stay out of my personal space. Um, there's a great natural understanding and response that all of us have. This, again, ties into that personal protection and our F3 in terms of our space, right? Our intimate space, which she says is 18 inches or more, that's reserved for people that are really close to us, right? Um, my kids will come in that space. I'll hug them. Uh, a, a spousal partner will be in that space. You hug somebody. But but sometimes you you have no choice, right? I'm on the subway. Sometimes I'm, it's so crowded before the pandemic that people are in your intimate space. But if I'm standing on the street and someone's in that intimate space, I'm going to respond. I'm going to react. It's going to it's going to set off some signals and some concern for me because that's way too close for somebody else to be who I don't know anything about. And there's your personal space. And that's like up to four feet. It's people that you're hanging around with, people maybe you go to dinner with, your close friends, somebody you sit on the couch with. But again, that personal space, it's not for strangers. It's not for, again, I live in a highly urban area. So pre-pandemic, these numbers may need to be adjusted when you're out in public and you need to understand that. But you need to be more alert when people are in that space, right? Because they're physically able to do more harm to you. Social space, a little bit further, and then obviously public space, which is for speeches and things. And what she talks about is that as you're getting closer to people and you're trying to exert influence, that you shouldn't start out in the personal space. You should start out, or the intimate space. You should start out more in the social space. And then as you use your techniques of influence and as people feel more comfortable, you'll know, you'll you'll naturally gravitate towards closer their closer space, right? You know, I might use this example, which she doesn't use, but if I was at a party and I was looking to pick up um, or become more acquainted with a young lady, I might start out far. And then as we got to know each other, I might move to a closer space. And then if she and I decided that we had a real connection and that connection went further, we may move further into a more intimate space of hand-holding or something of that nature. But you see how it doesn't start out that way, right? Uh, I'd be a predator if I met someone at a party and then immediately uh, went in and grabbed their hand or put my arms around them or something of that nature. As she winds down the book, she talks a little bit about mentoring. She talks about the fact that it's a false notion that you have to have one mentor. Um, I was a little bit resistant at first when I read it because I was, thought she was you know, sort of denigrating the idea of one mentor, but I, I kind of came to understand that's not what she's saying. What she's saying is that there's two things. You don't need one mentor to succeed, that we need to be able to look at the world and choose everybody as a mentor, even the people that are we consider to be antithetical to the things that we like. Again, that's back to that notion. Everything in this book sort of ties up our feared self versus our possible self. So the people can mentor you when you look at somebody. Uh, if I look at a martial arts 
instructor that I think is a terrible martial arts instructor, um, that person could still be a mentor to me because I'm going to look at that person and go, I see all of those things that that person does that don't work. And I don't want to incorporate those into my toolbox. She also talks about the fact that we have the benefit in today's day of age, especially of not necessarily having to have direct access for somebody to be a mentor. In other words, there could be somebody from afar that I see on TV, that I see on the internet, that I want to read about. Uh, Evie Pomporos could be an, a mentor to me, and I've never met her. I've never spoken to her. But through this book, she could mentor me. And she talks about that. And I think that's a great thing because, because it opens us all up to saying we need as much knowledge and as much information as possible. Read as much, interact. She reminds us of the benefit of solitude. We all need a certain amount of time for meditation, for solitude, for um, being able to self-reflect, to self-edit. We need to assess ourselves honestly. She's very, very big on honest reflection, understanding. You'll never get beyond where you are today if you don't look at yourself, understand what your limitations are, understand what your strengths are, understand what your limitations are, and then keep what's good and fix what needs to be fixed through a plan. She talks about self-doubt and self-editing that we shouldn't. She tells an interesting story about uh, the academy where she says to, she goes there into an elite academy and she asks them about how they weed out the people that are average from the people that are exceptional. And they made a comment that people that are average don't apply there. And the reason is, is because they're so riddled with self-doubt, they don't think themselves worthy. But maybe many of those people would have been worthy and they filtered themselves out. So she cautions, don't be so filled with self-doubt that you ruin your chances of being the best that you can be in life. She talks about sometimes you've got to not give a F, excuse my, in other words, sometimes you have to dive into something. She talks about diving into, um, for her, uh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu. you got to dive in without caring about whether you, you're embarrassed, whether or not you're going to make a fool of yourself, whether or not you're not going to look pretty or look handsome. Um, that sometimes when you have a goal and you need to do something, that you shouldn't let self, again, it's more about your self-doubt, but it hears into the, va the vanity hold you back from accomplishing what you need to accomplish. And then she talks about something which I think is great, which is incorporating bulletproof influences into your life to make yourself better. What does that mean? Uh, it's motivational. It's watching movies that will get you in the right mindset, listening to feel-good songs, right? Um, when we train, we put on training music. She listens to certain, watches certain movies, um, coming up with a workout routine, challenging ourselves to extreme sports, doing things that are practical and fun, but that are bulletproof influences to take us to a mindset and a headspace that is tied into our own success. She finishes the book a little bit by talking about your overall character. She mentions Aristotle's elements of good moral character, um, courage, temperance, liberality, magnificence, magnanimity, ambition, patience, friendliness, truthfulness, wit, and modesty, and justice. She mentions that the Secret Service have their own code for good character, justice, duty, courage, honesty, and loyalty. And I talked about the YH Park elements for good character, respect, humility, perseverance, self-control, and honesty. 
And the point is, is that it's an outline, something that's conscious, something that's deliberate, and it's a way in which we can establish a code and hold ourselves accountable and hold others accountable to it. And that's why I love it. She talks about, as I mentioned, the traits and the personality traits of being presidential. And what she's talking about is that when we hold ourselves to a high standard, when we hold our behavior to a high standard, that we behave better and we make other people around us better. I loved, this was biopic for her. She used examples, but she also gave a great opportunity to look at some, some key figures that she worked with and really talk about them in a very glowing way using specific example. Again, we talked a little bit about Bill Clinton. She talked about his generosity in speaking to people and inviting people. She talked about the strength of Hillary Clinton at the time that she was first lady going against what everybody said when she supported marching in the gay rights parade and how she didn't care because she thought it was the right thing to do and she did what she thought was right. She talked about uh, the now deceased President 41 Bush and how his gratitude, how he went out of his way, President of the United States, to be thoughtful of the secret agents, thankful and appreciative. She talked about how the Bush 43 was authentic and real as a person. The grace of Laura Bush, the, how, how much Michelle Obama taught her about self-worth and about President Obama teaching her about magnanimity. The President Obama example was very interesting because there was somebody who was a, uh, an outspoken opponent of President Obama who said very bad things about him, who talked about him in a very bad light. But yet when he ran into President Obama, he had his family with him. And it meant a lot to him to get a picture, his family to get a picture with the president. And the president could have used that opportunity to refuse them or to be catty about it because the guy had been so rude and horrible. But President Obama took the high road and granted the wish and posed for a photo with the man's family, which meant so much to them. And she talked about his charm and his magnanimity. And I, I thought that was very interesting. In conclusion, she reminds us that, again, one of the things we talked about at the beginning, bulletproof does not mean you have to have no fear. We all have fear, but we need to learn to face it with honesty and with courage and humility. We need to dig in, find our resilience, find our inner strength, find our compassion. She reminds us that heroism is not always loud. It can be very quiet. And she reminds us of the power of self-reliance. We need to be able to rely on ourselves first and then rely on and then help others. She talks about the, the crashing airplane example, right? The crashing airplane example is that when you're on an airplane, they tell you to put your oxygen mask on first before you want to help somebody else. Why? Because if you can't breathe, how can you help somebody else? So it's not selfish to put your oxygen mask on first. It's it's thoughtful, it's strategic, and it's helpful to others because once you can breathe, then you can help people. She finishes by saying that you are the hero you've been waiting for and you are the hero that the world has been waiting for. But what self-empowering, what empowering words. Evie Pomporos is really impressed me with this book. 
The book is Becoming Bulletproof. Protect yourself, read people, influence situation, live fearlessly. She is a woman of credibility. She's a woman of intellect. She's thoughtful. The book starts out every single chapter with an interesting quote, many of them from Greek philosophers. Whether or not you utilize every aspect of the book, whether or not you agree with every aspect of the book, this book is, in my opinion, essential reading for people today. It's essential reading for martial artists. It's essential reading for anyone looking to better themselves, both from the standpoint of being able to be safer, more secure, and more self-actualized. I am going to read the book again. I look forward to hearing your thoughts on the book. It is Becoming Bulletproof. It is available in from Amazon or anywhere books can be found. As I said, I got my first copy from the library. I've recommended it to other people, and I intend to get another copy that I can mark up. This episode of Taekwondo Life Magazine has been brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online again is your sportsbook experts, your online sportsbook experts. My name is Mark Sorianis, and I look forward to seeing you on the mat. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.